Hi! Welcome to the CJW Sports Show podcast, where we are previewing the Bombers and Ticats. We've got Bob Irving. We've got Rick Zamperin of 900 CHML in Hamilton. We'll go through all the ins and outs of what you need to know ahead of the Friday 6 p.m. kickoff in the hammer between the 5-0 Blue Bombers and 4-1 Ticats. Also, synchronized swimming for boys. It's a thing. You should try it. Learn more on the podcast. Let's talk Bombers. Let's talk Ticats. Let's talk with Bob Irving right now who is nestled in his hotel room in Hamilton all nice and cozy. Right, Bob? Uh, that's right, Christian. I'm uh, counting the hours until the big game tomorrow night. Meanwhile, I'm keeping an eye on this Calgary-Ottawa game, and boy, oh boy, yeah. the Red Blacks, and we saw them last week, they are in a world of hurt at the quarterback position right now. Absolutely. So we have a game tomorrow that the media has been asking players and the coaches all week, you know, it's 4-1 and one versus 5-0, and oh, East versus West, Grey Cup preview, and they're all staying clear of that. What do you say? Well, this Grey Cup preview thing comes up every year when one team in the West and one team in the East are kind of rolling along. So I don't think there's anything new to it, but this is awfully early, Christian. Now, having said that, the Bombers are 5-0, and and pretty well everybody across the country who follows the league and is close to the league agrees that they look like the team to beat in the West this year. And I don't think there's much disagreement along the same line about Hamilton in the East. You know, they're four and one and going into the season, most people felt uh, they would be the, the best team in the East. So, you know, if people want to call it a, a possible great cup preview, that's true. But uh, when Calgary plays Ottawa, that's a possible great right. cup preview too. This one's maybe a little more realistic though. In a nine team league, you can make a case that many games could be great cup previews. Exactly. Yes, you certainly could. You know, there's a, and this Steve Daniel gets credit for this statistic, uh, kind of the, the neat thing about this game in a lot of ways, and it certainly is the marquee game of the weekend of the season. But since 1958, only five previous times has there been a matchup in which a team has played, or the two teams have played at least five games and have only one combined loss. Wow. Okay, so the Bobbers played five, they're 5-0. and oh. Ticats have played five, they're 4-1. and one. This is just the sixth time since 1958 that teams with a total of 10 games have only one loss. And I found that to be a very interesting and unique statistic. And one of those times was in 2011 when the 5-0 and Edmonton Eskimos played the 4-1 and Buck Pierce-led Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And the Bombers won the game. That was Swaggerville, and the Bombers mm-hmm. went on to the Great Cup that year. Yes, and that was the last time the Bombers went on to the Great Cup, as we all know at this point. Uh, so yeah. you look at the the point. Just looking at the points for and allowed, Bombers one sixty nine for eighty against Hamilton one eighty seven for one hundred against. How much of that is just a, a function of they haven't played a super tough schedule, and how much of that is they're both really good teams? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of of both. Uh, the Bombers, probably the toughest team they played is Edmonton. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and they won that game. Um, Hamilton, let's see, they beat Saskatchewan, beat Toronto, beat Montreal, lost to Montreal, and then beat Calgary. So I, you know, I think you can make the argument that the two schedules have been relatively similar. Although Montreal appears to mm-hmm. turn the corner and become a much better team than they were when. Uh, Hamilton beat them 41-10 to here about three weeks ago, so that's how quickly things can turn. 
But you know, as they as they always say, you you play the games that the schedule maker asks you to play, and you hope you do well in them. And the Bombers have certainly been dominating. They get a much better test tomorrow night against, uh, as you say, a very high powered offensive team. Hamilton number one in points four. The Bombers are number two. And in points allowed, this is points allowed now. Winnipeg is number one, and Hamilton is number two. So you know you've got uh, you've got two class teams really going at it tomorrow night. It'll be interesting for me to see how the Bombers deal with Jeremiah Mazzoli in that Hamilton offense and Speedy Banks and Luke Tasker. Uh, Mazzoli is very, he's really come into his own last year, Christian. He threw for over 5,000 yards. Uh, He's kind of, Richie Hall calls him unorthodox in that he makes a lot of off-schedule plays and he'll throw kind of as he's leaning back and a bit off balance and he'll make lots of plays that way. So he's a bit of a tough nut to crack, and we'll see if this Bomber defense, which is getting a lot of raves, can come up with something that really uh, puts a blanket over Jeremiah Mazzoli. And the last three games, they've done it all without Adam Big Hill. They're getting Big Hill back tomorrow night. That can only help. (laughs) Mike O'Shea was asked about that today. He said, what's it going to be like having Adam Big Hill back? And he kind of started laughing, and he said, he's really good. And, you know, that sort of summed it up. But the, the thing that O'Shea said, too, which is I think sometimes overlooked, Christian, is that not only is Big Hill an outstanding player, but he's a tremendous general on defense back there. He makes sure everybody's lined up right. You know, even before a play unfolds, he will be barking out orders to other guys and watch this and you need to be over there, that sort of thing, which only a player of his experience and savvy can do. So there's so much to the Big Hill package that – uh, the Bombers can use, and, and they've missed for sure. Now, you wouldn't know it by the way they've played, but when a guy like that's out of the lineup, he is missed. And a lot of conversation has surrounded Chris Matthews the last couple of weeks, how he's healthy now, how he's not playing, the incident, whatever happened at La Roca aside. We have a player that was brought in as a big-money player who is a healthy scratch because they just have too many weapons right now on offense. Yeah, I don't know what you do about this. I think there's one route the Bombers could go if they chose, and they have chose not to. They could have Lucky Whitehead be their exclusive kick returner, uh, drop Kenny Walker from the roster, who was the kick returner last week, and put Chris Matthews in as a starting receiver ahead of Lucky Whitehead. But they don't want to do that, and it's hard to hard to blame them. Uh, you know, Whitehead's been good as a receiver, Uh, Walker showed good form as a returner last year. Lawler had a real breakout game last week. So it really has, I don't know, it's it's kind of funny, Chris, and it has nothing to do with Chris Matthews' talent. Uh, They like him, and they do legitimately, and and he's handling this very well. He's being a consummate team guy. Now, how long that goes on, I don't know, because he's going to get frustrated for sure. Mm -hmm. But right now, he's just happy right now to be part of this, to bide his time, and wait for his chance, which he, you know, is is confident will come somewhere along the road. Now, how it'll come, I don't know. Probably through an injury. Well, that's the thing, uh, right? In the in the CFL, right? Injuries happen, and we've seen that with the Blue Bombers in the past. And every football team, you're not going to get from game one to eighteen with the same crew of receivers. They yeah, get hurt. So if one gets hurt, there's Matthew sliding in, right? Yeah, that's right. And what a what a great guy to have in the wings. You know, it's not you, you're. Your receivers are so good, you can't get Chris Matthews on your roster. And I guess that, uh, as strange as that sounds, it's a real tribute to how well the Bombers are going right now. So we'll see how this all plays out. But right now, 
you know, I think all is well. There's no there's no problems. Matthews is handling it very well. Mm-hmm. So what kind of game are you expecting tomorrow night? Well, I think we're going to see some scoring. You know, we haven't talked about Brandon Banks yet, and I know the Bombers are going to be keeping a close eye on Speedy B, as everybody calls him. Um, you know, Hamilton has been very prolific this year, and, and I don't, you know, I know the Bombers have a very good defense, so there's two uh, forces colliding. But I think it's going to be a, a game where there's probably 60 points put up between the okay. two teams. You know, I think it'll be entertaining. It, uh, it, I hope it's going to be an outstanding game. I think it has all the makings, and it, like most games, it will tell us more about both these teams. Traditionally, how does it go for Winnipeg in Hamilton? Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't have that at my fingertips. Um, they've had some good games here, for sure, and some not so good. I can tell you that because I remember some bad ones. <laughs> I remember some good ones too. So I think it's been, you know, relatively even, but I'll have to, that's one part of my research that I haven't gotten into. Okay. Pull the yeah, pop quiz on you there. Well, no, but I'll tell you this though. The Thai cats at Tim Hortons field, since this opened five years ago, they won their first eight games here. They won their last four games here in between. They won two games and lost 18. My God. So, their home record uh, over a period of time wasn't very good. It was good at the beginning. It's been good lately. But in between, they really struggled to win games here. So uh, it's kind of odd the way that Kind of sounds familiar, out. though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, a little bit. So we'll see. They're Like I say, they're good at home now. They won four straight here. And uh, the Bombers, of course, one of the better road teams in, in the league. Boy, they're, I think it's 19-10 and 10 the last uh, two years and a bit under Mike O'Shea. Their road record's just been outstanding. So, you know, there again, you've got uh, two things to to look at as this in this matchup tomorrow night. What's the, finally? What's the weather like there? What's the scheduled forecast for tomorrow's game? Well, it was thirty three degrees here oh. today. With and Christian, you know it because you're from this part of the country. Mm-hmm. With the only the humidity that you can Oof. get in southern Ontario, and it's supposed to be similar tomorrow. So it's going to be a real, uh, mm. you know, a real. Uh, sweat uh, bath for both these teams at Tim Hortons Field. And the Bombers, you know, I think uh, Mike O'Shea is very conscious of those things and keeps the practices shorter and all the rest of it. He feels very strongly about keeping the players' legs strong and not grinding them too much in practice. But will it be a sweat bath in the broadcast booth? <laughs> I will probably, but, you know, Doug and I will we'll be up to it. And Eddie Tate, of course, will be with us on the pregame show, too. Uh, We'll play under any conditions, Christian. You know, you just got to get out there and go. <laughs> All right, Bob, we'll let you go. We'll appreciate your time as always. Uh, and 4 p.m., we'll tune in tomorrow to hear the pregame show. Okay, thanks, Christian. All right, we'll turn our attention back to the Hamilton-Winnipeg clash tomorrow night, and we welcome in Rick Zamperin, who is sports director at our sister station, Global News Radio 9. 100 CHML in Hamilton. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. So, have you been impressed with the Hamilton Ticats so far this season through the five games? Have they lived up to your expectations? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the one blip on the radar was a couple of weeks ago in Montreal. Uh, but aside from that, this team has played fairly well, maybe minus the opening game against Saskatchewan. That was a meh game for both teams. Hamilton in years past would end up losing a game like that, but 
you know, winning that game. I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding Simone Lawrence's hit over mm-hmm. uh, on Zach Aleros, which obviously we're going to get to with Simone's uh, two-game suspension, uh, including tomorrow night uh, against the Bombers. Um, but, you know, they, they rifled past Toronto and then Montreal, finally beat Calgary for the first time since God was a boy, and now facing probably the best, most complete team in the CFL tomorrow night. Going into this season, there's no doubt that Hamilton was the favorite in the East, I think head and shoulders above. Maybe Montreal is having people second guess that a little bit right now, but Toronto's as bad as maybe we thought, and Ottawa has had a lot of problems as well. Is Hamilton right now as good as we think they are at 4-1, and one, or is the East just maybe we're we're getting a, a it's not as honest a 4-1 and one as maybe another a team in the West would be at 4-1? and one. Yeah, it might be a bit inflated in the East because, yeah, I mean, they played Montreal twice. Uh, they, they beat them once. They lost to them once. Uh, they trounced, uh, you know, Toronto. Toronto's really a team that is struggling mightily. You know, Saskatchewan in game number one, that's a coin flip either way because we don't know how each team is kind of, you know, preparing for that season opener. But they beat, I think, a very good Calgary team, even though Bill, Bill Levi Mitchell wasn't in the lineup. So I think, you know, four and one is indicative of how talented this team is. Now, I'm not going to say that they're going to be you know, 14 and four on the season, but I think they're a team that should be well above 500, you know, 11, maybe 12 wins if they get a couple of bounces here and there uh, against especially East division opponents. But uh, yeah, four and one, I think is a pretty accurate representation of the talent level they have on paper. And, you know, in years past, uh, you know, sometimes this team has not lived up to those expectations in terms of the talent level that they have on paper, but I think so far, so good this year. I should say, full disclosure, the Bombers have also played three teams in the East out of their five games so far (laughs) this season, so say what you will, but that, it's just kind of, it feels like a slower start to the season. There's no, like the Bombers are 5-0, but it feels like the overall level's a little lower. Is that fair to say? Well, I don't know. I mean, you you, you can only play the team that's next on your schedule, and whether it's a struggling team in the East or a powerhouse in the West or whatever the case is, um, but you know what? Uh, Winnipeg at five and zero. I think that's obviously a great record. But I mean, they're beating teams by an average of eighteen points a game. The Ticats have scored one hundred and eighty-seven in five games. They're on pace to be the third highest scoring team in CFL history. I mean, so they're doing something right. It's not just the teams that they're playing against have been bad. Uh, hey, they they put the pedal to the metal and they've shown that they are much more superior than the teams that they've beaten so far. And they've only allowed 100 points through five games, but the absence of Simone Lawrence, you mentioned it, his suspension finally kicks in this week, and then the rematch that he won't be a part of against the Riders in Regina. How much does his absence hurt the defense for Hamilton tomorrow night? Well, it hurts in a couple ways. Number one, we know he is the inspirational, emotional leader of this Ticats defense. They all look to him for not only guidance, but, you know, he, he kind of gets the motor running. He's the oil in the Ticats defensive engine. Uh, and having that emotional kind of spark, sometimes you need that when things aren't going your way or you need, you know, a boost on the sideline or a pep talk, whatever the case is, or a big play on the field. He's, he's that guy. He's had a phenomenal career thus far. Uh, I think the two-game suspension is more than deserved. And I think they're going to miss him big time against Winnipeg because the Bombers are coming into this game thinking Nick Shorthill, you know, as good as a player as he is, especially on special teams, is not Simone Lawrence when it comes to the defensive play. Solid player, but not that explosive, game-changing, you know, key interception or fumble recovery kind of guy that, that Simone is. So that's going to be a big loss for the Ticats defensively. They're going to have to help Shorthill a little bit uh, in that linebacking position. 
What do the Ticats fans think of Jeremiah Mazzoli? You know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I think it's a love-hate relationship. I think when things are going great, like any quarterback, I mean, the fans are going to love him. When things are not going so great, uh, the, you know, the fans pile on. The issue with Masoli is, you know, he can look great for three and a half quarters, and the, the, the part of the quarter that he doesn't look good or isn't playing well usually happens in, in key times with, with uh, you know, monumental plays, uh, at uh, you know crunch time in a game, whether it's going into the halftime or at the end of the game, and just for whatever reason, uh, you know can't complete the pass or turns the ball over, which we've seen a lot this season too much, in fact. Um, but when he's going well, you're thinking, wow, I mean, this guy's an MOP candidate. But you're always kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop because we've seen it in the past, and we're all kind of waiting for something to go wrong at some point in the game. So I think fans are happy overall with what he's brought to the table. He's he's a healthy guy. He's a physical quarterback. Uh, he's not going to shy away from that physicality. He's a very even-keeled guy, which you, you love to have in a quarterback because he doesn't get too high or too low. His teammates love him, which is ultra-important. Obviously, has the you know the respect and the trust of the coaching staff. So overall, his body of work has proven to be really good. It's just those, those key moments, sometimes things go awry. And five games into the tenure of Orlando Steinauer as head coach, what are the early returns on him? Well, I think, you know, check marks across the board. Here's a guy who has surrounded himself with a lot of experience uh, among his assistant coaches, be it, you know, Jeff Reinbold, uh, Tommy Condell, who he worked with in the past with the Ticats, Mark Washington over from the BC Lions, uh, you know, and other guys like Dennis McKnight on the offensive line, Craig Butler, who's, you know, a CFL veteran who's now made that transition of the coaching staff. You know, the players really love him, not just because he played this game and won a great cup and was one of the great players of his generation, of his era, but I think he's just that true kind of player's coach. He understands what they're going through. His message so far this season has been, uh, you know, accepted wholeheartedly by this team and the coaching staff and the front office. So, uh, yeah, as I said, check marks all around. Things are going great. We'll see once adversity hits because it's going to come at some point in this season. There might be a two- or three-game losing streak and maybe a couple of games where they expected to win and did not. Then we'll see the true you know, essence of how he's going to handle that because you know, the, the, the great coaches uh, of our game handle that adversity, handle those moments of uh, you know, uh, question marks, and they come out uh, you know, looking like geniuses. So until that happens, we can't really make a definitive you know, statement on what kind of coach Steinhauer is. But uh, again, so far so good in, in his first go-round as a head coach in the CFL. We in Winnipeg spend a lot of time talking to the same people over and over again, and we get the same look at the at the team here. I'm curious to hear what someone from outside the West sees in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers through five games, your scouting report on the Blue and Gold. Well, I've loved the way that Mike O'Shea has constructed this team, not only this year, but in the last couple of years. I mean, this team has been, as you guys know in the peg, on the rise for a few seasons. It hasn't always translated into a trip to the Great Cup, but we've seen some improvement year in and year out. And that sometimes takes time to, to build a championship-caliber roster. But, you know, each and every time when uh, the Ticats or, or any game that I'm watching, uh, you know, I'll go through the depth chart and I'll highlight, you know, some names where I think, you know, these guys are game changers in Winnipeg has a lot of game changers, whether it's Andrew Harris, Matt Nichols, Dembski, Whitehead, Adams, you know, Brian at left tackle. He's a guy that can just nullify, uh, you know, a, a pass rush. Big Hill, obviously, Jefferson. You know, these guys are true game breakers 
game changers impact players. Winnipeg has a lot of them. Justin Medlock's another guy at the kicking position. And then you look at the coaching staff. You no know, solid. Uh, they know how to manage a game. Paul Police is a great offensive system. Uh, you know, Richie Hall has been around the block. Buck Pierce, former bomber. I mean, they have a complete unit. And I really love this team because they show heart. Uh, they never give up. I know they haven't been down a lot this season, and that's a true testament to how they play on offense and defense and special teams. But this is, I think, the most complete team in the CFL, and I don't even think it's close. And mm-hmm. I do give a lot of respect to the Ticats and the Bombers, but I really like or, or the Ticats and the, and the Stamps, but I really like this Bombers team. I think a lot of people in this market will like that. You're, you're saying that for sure. <laughs> There's a well, lot of cautious optimism be, here. Well, yeah. You know, when you haven't won a championship since 1990, mm-hmm. sure, I'm going to understand that. We're on the same boat here. We haven't won anything since 99. So, you know, a long nine-year difference, teams, though, Rick. Uh, well, that's true. I know a decade a decade is a lot. But, uh, you know, if these two teams make it to the Grey Cup, I think at least one fan base will be happy. Yeah. I'm not sure which one at the end of the day, but it, it'll be nice to see. I think it would be the best storyline that the CFL could create come Grey Cup 107. I agree with you. Now, which fan base will be the happiest after tomorrow night? Huh. Yeah, that's a good question. I, You know what? Winnipeg has played great on the road. Hamilton has played really well at home. Uh, the Lawrence factor, I'm not sure if it is a game-changing factor. I mean, one player doesn't make a game, but I think that the Bombers can get out to a quick lead, which they've they've done so. The Ticats have struggled in the first quarter. I think by halftime, uh, I think whichever team is leading is going to have obviously a great chance to win, but you know, these two offenses, uh, offenses are so explosive. I'm expecting a high-scoring, you know, flip of the coin. I, I don't want to sound like a homer, but I like the way the Ticats are playing at home. They're relatively healthy. Having Chris Van Zell at that right tackle position back is going to be a big plus on that offensive line. We know that offenses are only as good as the offensive line. I really like Hamilton's, and I like Winnipeg's as well. So I'm giving a slight edge to the Ticats only because they're at home. All right, fair enough, Rick. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Anytime. Take care. Uh, now, I've never been much of a swimmer. I'm 6'5", I'm lanky. I have the body, probably, but never the ambition. Failed out of level 7 because I couldn't bring myself to learn how to dive. I flop around. That's my point. And synchronized swimming. I'm really synchronized on dry land, but one group in Winnipeg wants to get more men and boys to try the challenging sport. Christian Gosselin is the instructor for Boys Can Sink and joins me now. Christian, how did you get involved in synchronized swimming? Uh, I got involved because uh, of my older oldest daughter. Probably, uh, I think it's been five years now. She's going to be going to her sixth year, and now I, I have two daughters in there. Um, they're both going uh, sixth year next year, and the younger one's uh, third year. So between them joining the sport, really loving it, um, there's uh, requirements for parents to um, do volunteering throughout, you know, whether it's competitions or travel and stuff like that. So I got slowly involved in uh, some of the land training exercises that they do and evaluating that. And my wife's on the board as well now. So it's kind of been bit by bit throughout the, the past few years. Before your daughters got involved, what was your interpretation of what synchronized swimming was all about? Did you have any idea? Uh, other than seeing it once in a while in the Olympics, uh, no, I, I didn't. And I never really realized how difficult it was till I actually participated myself uh, as part of the men's team. Um, so as much as it looks you know, easy and very artistic in the water, it's tremendously difficult. Physically, how is yes. it? Yes. So it's a, I guess it's the combination of strength, uh, flexibility and cardio all in one because right. as soon as you 
you're in the water, you lift a limb out of the water, whether it's your arm, your hand, you start to sink. And you've got to have tremendous strength to be able to stay at the surface and do the things that people can see. So, yeah, it's it's quite unbelievable, the amount of the talent and, and uh, athleticism that's required in that sport. Was it a humbling experience trying it out? Very much so, yeah. You know, we when we first got into it, it was... Uh, well, you know, this will be, you know, a routine in a couple minutes. Um shouldn't be that bad, but uh with uh, we ended up doing I think it was a minute and 40 seconds. And you're exhausted by the end of it. And this this is just, you know, brushing the surface. Um our daughters are doing much more complicated things and they're doing routines that are almost uh, 4 minutes long. So very humbling, absolutely, and uh, my respect for what they do every day and what the high-level uh, athletes do is, is has grown tremendously for sure. So you mentioned a men's team. Are there more men now trying to get involved with this? Um, I think so. I I know that uh, in 2015 at the Olympics they allowed uh, the mixed duets for the first time. So I think that's at the international level that's starting that way. Um, but yeah, I guess at our level, we we had two young boys in the club, Aquatica Synchro Club, that registered last year. We had the men's team, which were a bunch of mostly fathers and husbands um, that did that. We were 10 last year. And we, we've heard of other clubs now um, having dads uh, join in on the fun and, and doing their own routines. And I know across Canada, there's a boy here and there that uh, are actually doing competitive uh, synchro swimming so it seems to be growing and I guess from my perspective I having participated and seeing the benefits that you know it could bring to young young boys and just young people in general in terms of self-confidence and just getting the basics of the sport um, is super beneficial. So something called boys can sink is being started up tell me more about that. So it was an idea that uh, our head coach, Holly Jarderson, came up with. Um, she sent an email to the participants of the um, the men's team from last year and said, you know what, one of the goals was to get more boys involved in the sport. So as a spinoff, she wanted one of us to uh, take the classes to become an instructor um, so that we could teach uh, an all-boys class. Um, the And the idea behind that is, as an initiation into the sport to make them feel more comfortable and having someone that has participated and kind of has a better understanding of what's involved from uh, uh, the the male perspective um, would be beneficial. So Aquatica Synchro is trying to be an uh, an inclusive club um, working with uh, boys, uh, people with disabilities. um, And this was kind of a natural progression from what uh, what we started last year. And where is this being held? It will be uh, Pan Am Pool. So starting in September, uh, there'll be a class in the evening, 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, boys, all, uh, boys from the age of uh, anywhere, I think from 5 till the age of 8, 9 type of thing can register. I'll be doing the coaching. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a class a week for the, the whole year. I guess it, it, it's split up into registrations of half a year and half a year, but uh, it'll be held out of Pan Am Pool. You excited to coach? You know what? It, it's something that I've never done, and I 
yeah, it'll be super interesting because having gone through the the AquaGo artistic swimming coaching program, which is what's kind of been started um, very recently, there's a good mix of athleticism, strength, flexibility, and artistic swimming skills. So it's an hour long, and you get you know essentially a third of all of these things. Um, very, it gives you very good fundamentals for essentially any water sport. So having kids start in this program can lead them to continue in artistic swimming or any other sport that they want from there. So yeah, it's it's pretty exciting to to be able to help uh, boys get initiated into this this really um, difficult sport and very beneficial for just all-around fitness. And if people want more information or sign up, where can they go? Uh, that would be on the Aquatica Synchro uh, Club website. So AquaticaSynchro.com is the website name, and they have all the programs laid out there. Not only the boys' programs, but uh, the girls and the masters. And we were there may also be another men's team this year, but well, that's yet to be yet to be seen. Well, Christian, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight, and uh, best of luck as you enter into this endeavor of yours. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited, and thanks for uh, showing interest. I like your name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, same goes to you. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?